Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Creative Finance Lab with my good friend, Joe McCall, and my new friend, Matt Terrio. But Matt Terrio is not only my new friend, he's been a, lo a, a very long time hero of mine. I'm very lucky to be on the screen with these two gentlemen. Sorry guys, we were late. I had a phone call. I had a wholesaler named Jared Piper out of Phoenix who's been crushing it, does probably $200,000, $300,000 a month, every single month in assignment fees, by himself with one assistant, okay? And he's been doing that for a long, long time, does really, really well. But now, you know, he's got all this cash and he calls me up and he says, dude, I'm gonna start doing seller financing where I'm gonna pay off these homes and then I'm gonna turn around and create notes. I'm like, brilliant, I love it. He goes, I don't know how to find those buyers. I don't know how to do anything other than MLS. And so I had to go through a 15 minute conversation and talk to him about the 13 ways that we find seller finance buyers. Don't you love those kinds of calls, Pace? Yeah, they're the greatest. It, it reminds you that even guys that are doing really, really well in wholesale, really, you know, they've really focused on that one thing and they're missing the wealth creating tool that is creative finance. And it's so fun. It makes me feel like I know a thing or two, you know? <laughs> it's all about the cash flow. Because basically. we've seen a thing or two, right? Right. Well, you know, you guys have seen more than I have, but definitely for sure. And so, anyway, guys. Welcome to the podcast. We are going to be doing this live every Wednesday, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And what time is it your guys' time? Eight, 10 o'clock? 10 o'clock here in St. Louis. 8 uh, in Vegas. Oh, you're in Vegas, Matt? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Full Sorry time? To hear that. Yeah, I've been here about two years. Yeah. For some reason, okay, so I, I when I watch your YouTube videos, there's a, a river that you constantly are like walking near. Oh, that that's actually at my mom's house in Oregon. Okay, makes sense. Because I'm sitting here thinking, oh, that's got to be Midwest somewhere. That's got to be like Pennsylvania or something. And yeah, so I'm thinking no, you're central. Just, just a couple of times though, but um, you must have watched those two. Bro, that's so great. We got to hang out when I come up to Vegas. I'm up there sure. probably once every two months. I got a little casita right here waiting for you. I love it. And I just, yeah. I just bought a house. Do you guys know who Jerry Norton is? Oh yeah. So I just bought Jerry Norton's house on creative finance, a big 11,000 square foot home with a 2,500 square foot guest house. So anytime you guys are in Phoenix, you got a whole dedicated house with a three car garage all to yourself. What do you Where do with 11,000 square feet? So here's the thing, like you guys know this and mm -hmm. Matt and, and Joe, both of you guys' production levels have like elevated tremendously over the last couple of years, which has been fun to watch. And when COVID hit, I was to going to and from, or before COVID, I was going to and from my studio where I shared with Brent Daniels. And it was a 30 minute drive there, back, getting set up, saying hi to everybody at the office. You know, it was like an hour and a half or two hours of my day was basically driving and all that kind of stuff. So COVID hit, I turned my house into a studio and I quickly realized I need a way bigger space because now I have people coming to my studio and doing my podcast live. And so when Jerry and I, I went to dinner at Jerry's house a couple of months back and he said, yeah, we're thinking about moving to Puerto Rico. I go, dude, name your price on the house. Let me buy it seller finance. Wow. And so he's giving me basically all his equities, financing it to me because he's only lived in the house for a year. So if he sells it right now and we transfer the deed, he's got this massive tax burden. Yeah. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just do an agreement for sale for a year and then transfer the deed into my name once his uh, two years and one day is up. And I'm going to turn the whole entire basement, which is about 2000 or 3000 square feet and into, into like a multiple room studio. 
It's awesome. awesome. It's awesome. So, yeah, Jason, I know you said this already, Pace, but you're moving into this house. You're going to live in it? Yeah, we're going to live in like one wing of it. And then the rest of it's going to be a working office and it's going to be a massive studio and a movie room. So, like, when people <laughs> come into town, I just go, I'll go, hey guys, come. When, especially if people go to Steve Trang's podcast, I'll go, hey guys, come to Steve's podcast, but afterwards, come over to my house. And let's record stuff. Let's. And what I'm also going to do is I'm going to teach people the the social media side of this business and how to get tons of deals through social media. So I'm going to have people come into my house and you know work in my basement. I'll have a, a, probably an employee that's there full time that just shows people exactly how to do it. And I'm going to do it for free because I think so many people are underutilizing social media you know, Instagram primarily to get real estate deals, uh-huh. right? By making a name for yourself. So like Matt Terrio and Joe, how many freaking people have reached out to you over the years through Instagram or YouTube comments and said, hey, will you look at this deal for me? Yeah. yeah. Countless times. Oh yeah. And you don't have to be a guru to be a social media influencer either, right? Like you can find private lenders and buyers and sellers on social media. One of the coaches who got me started, Claude Diamond, genius at sales. I mean, he's really, really smart. And he's been using social media, YouTube. I mean, he was doing YouTube channels before anybody practically heard of YouTube, YouTube videos. And here's the crazy thing what he does. Either sometimes he'll make an offer to buy a house. Sometimes he'll offer his services as a consultant to the seller to help them sell their house on a lease option. So, Love you know, he, the seller may not like him making all this money. So he says, listen, what if I just teach you how to do a lease option on your house and you just pay me a couple months rent as a consulting fee? And so then he just teaches the seller and it's paid a consultant fee to do that, which is brilliant. But he finds those people just by doing a bunch of videos talking about lease options. It's amazing. It's crazy. Well, I'm sorry, guys. I completely took it off to a left a left road. Major well, here, here's what's cool, Pace. I love what you're talking about this because I love creative financing. I have bought two of my own personal residences using creative financing. Well, actually, I've bought one. One of them I decided not to buy. And so, and I don't know about you, Matt, have you ever used creative financing to live in a house yourself? I haven't found one that I that I like enough to move into. Okay. Yeah. So it's here's the thing. the plan, but I, I just haven't found it. Can I, can I just be a little vulnerable here? You guys won't make fun of me or tease me? Bro, <laughs> we, all, we, all, we all suck here, man. We're just here to hang out. But I say this because I think people can relate to this, right? And we call this a creative financing lab. And I'm so excited about this podcast because it's going to be just kind of our lab of experiments. We're going to show you kind of what's working and what's not working here, right? It may blow up in our faces. Who knows? But we just want to be open and honest and transparent with you guys. So when the market crashed in 06, well, starting so 07 and 08, I lost like 15 or 14 properties to to uh, short sales foreclosures. I, you know, I did, I had about eight or so subject twos and I deeded them back to the sellers. Joe, um, can I, can I ask you why that is? Is it because you bought them on adjustable rate mortgages and the, the rates went up and you no longer cash flowed? Is that the main reason why? What, that, on some of the houses, there was an adjustable rate, but what really killed me was I didn't have enough margin, did not have enough margin on these deals. And I figured houses always appreciate and I didn't have enough cash flow. I didn't have enough reserves. Got um, it. So like when I had a vacancy, like one vacancy would just wipe me out because that was, you know, a thousand bucks a month paying a mortgage that I didn't have any income from. And then plus all the plus repairs, plus yeah. marketing to get a new tenant. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I had zero reserves, which is so important guys. Every house you get, especially on creative financing, I recommend like, you know, if you're putting a tenant in there or a lease option tenant buyer or an owner finance buyer, you're going to get a down payment or earnest money or whatever. You have to save at least half of that in a savings account. My suggestion, at least half of that in a savings 
savings account because you will have vacancies, you will have repairs, emergencies. And I didn't have that. I was just spending that money, right? I was like, oh, great, a great a payday. So anyway, I had zero margin on these deals. And then the, the values kind of collapsed, which wasn't a big deal, but I didn't have enough cash flow to pay the vacancies. And so I consequently then, I would pay these seller. I never missed a seller's mortgage payment on my subject twos, but I paid their mortgages before I paid my own mortgage on my own personal residence because I did yeah. not want to hit that seller with a 30-day late. I tell you what though, I got a lot of calls on day 29, hour 23, minute 59. Like, hey, where's my mortgage payment? I keep on getting the calls from the bank yeah. and I would pay it at the last minute, man. I got so frustrated paying, robbing Peter to pay Paul. It was horrible. So anyway, my credit sucked big time, right? And that stuff, those foreclosures and stuff like that stays on your credit for seven years, at least. And some banks, they keep on re-reporting it every month. I don't get it. I don't understand, but like my credit was shot. So fast forward a few years, I, I'm getting a bunch of write-offs um, because of my losses and uh, one of the other benefits of owning the deed to a property, you get to write off some of your losses when the deal goes bad. That's, I guess, one positive, right? But anyway, I started making a lot of money doing wholesaling, doing deals, uh, selling my um, course and stuff like that. And I, at the, there was a period of time where I I started making a lot of money and I lost all my deductions and I was hit with this huge $120,000 tax bill. And you know, I, this is a long story. I'm going to get, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be getting on the, in, in about three to four or five weeks, I'm going to be on the other side of this thing. And I got something crazy awesome to tell you. I can't wait to tell you. So now all of a sudden I got this tax bill and I couldn't pay it off right away. So I got hit with a lien. So now I have a lien tax lien on my, on my credit and uh, attached to one or two rental properties that I still own. And uh, my credit sucked. And we had, we got, we left our house because we did a short sell on it. We were renting houses. I got frustrated and tired of renting and I wanted to buy. So I did some marketing and a seller responded to my marketing. And I forget how I found the lead, but he calls me and says, Hey, you know what? Um, we need to sell our house. We can't wait any longer. I got two mortgage payments. I already bought another house. And I said, well, let me look at it. And I looked at it and I said, Hey, I got great news for you. I already have a buyer for it. And he said, who? I said, me. It was a great house, 4,500 square foot on a cul-de-sac in a great community subdivision. And, uh, but I didn't know if we wanted like that was our forever home or whatever. So I said, listen, let's just do a lease option and I'll lease it from you for two or three years, two or three years, I think it was. And he said he loved it. He was great. I just took over his mortgage payment, but I did it as a lease option. And so it was great. We lived in that house, loved it. The problem was it was too close to people. Like it was a normal subdivision, but we didn't like being that close to people. And we wanted more privacy in our backyard. We wanted to be able to, I was going to say, I got this weird thing. You know, you made it when you can take a leak in your backyard and you're not worried about any neighbors seeing you, right? I mean, that's kind of gross. Sorry I said that. No, it's not, dude. I do it all the time. <laughs> okay. So that's, the that's real freedom, Joe. That yeah. is real freedom right there. Yes. I wanted to, to take a Joe, I had a house. just 30, 20-second story. So I had a house, <laughs> and I get a call from this lady, and she goes, hey, I just want to let you know that there's this Hispanic guy that just every morning goes and pees in your backyard. I just want to let you know. And I'm like, thank you so much for letting me know. I'll, I'll make sure that I keep an eye out for him. Oh, and my wife's like, who's the Hispanic guy that's peeing in our backyard? I go, it's, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> How funny. Well, I've, I just always thought, man, you know, you've made it if you can take a leak in your backyard and no lady can relate to that. So I'm sorry for all the ladies here, but like, I think most guys can relate to that. So it's fast forward, like your own domain, right? Exactly. exactly. This is my it's place. Like I'm, I'm marking my spots. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and so I, I'm sorry for making a short story long here, but like I, we didn't like this house. It was a great house. By the way, all the lease options I've done, the seller has never once, once checked my credit. 
right? And that's the great thing about creative financing. It's like, I, I don't know, Pace, Matt, have you ever had a seller check your credit on one of your deals? Oddly, that just happened this week. They they requested it. And that was What'd the first time ever, just this week. I said, what? no, you're the one with the problem, not me, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I think I've it wasn't a great deal. And they were asking me to jump through a bunch of hoops. And I was just like, you're asking me for too much. If I'm willing to do that for you, what are you willing to do for me? Mm. And so that's where we're at right now. Yeah, and I think also the line, I've had people ask, for, well, I got to make sure you're a credible buyer. And I'll say, okay, well, if that's the case, I'll just go directly through the bank, right? So if you want all these credentials, then I'll go through the bank and I'll go for, buy a different house. But I've never had to show tax returns. Mm -hmm. I've never had to show my bank balance, proof of funds, credit report, anything, anything, even job history. Never even had to show any of that kind of stuff. But I've had it asked of me a couple of times, but a very quick one line of, no, that's not what we do on seller finance, or that's not what we do in these situations. They just go, oh, okay, sounds good. And then we move on. I like that. I'm going to go to the bank. The rate's lower and get a different house. Right. I can get the house I want. Right. Right. Or I'll, 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 how about this? I'll just pay cash for your house. And here it is. And so my cash offers like 70,000. My seller financing offers 100,000. It right. doesn't matter to me. If you want to pull my credit, it's not going to work. I can just buy your house with cash, but give them give them choices, right? Turn it around. Well, well speaking of choices, I think why the reason why Matt has never bought a house on seller finance or creative finance to live in is because that is the big challenge, right? You get a lot of people who will ask you, um, especially my DMs, they go, hey, I, I need to buy a house for myself and my family. Do you have any seller finance or subject to houses laying around? I'm like, well, first off, if it's in Arizona, I don't wholesale them. I don't sell them. I don't sell or finance them. I just keep them for myself. Second off, if you have a specific house, especially if you're married, right? You have a wife, you have kids, you need a very specific type of house in a very specific area. You ain't going to find it with creative finance for living in because you're going to be way too picky. Whereas for me, I just look at it, I go, look, is this a good cash flowing property? Can I turn it into a rental? And boom, I'm going to buy that and take that deal down. However, the last two houses that I've bought, miraculously very similar to you, Joe, is that they came up and I go, oh, this might not be my forever home, but this is a better home than what I'm currently in. And so I rent my other house out. I move into the other my sub two house. I'm currently in a, a home I bought sub two. And now I'm moving into Jerry Noren's house that I'm buying sub two and seller finance, you know, hybrid or a wraparound. Mm -hmm. And I think I just got lucky, to be honest, because most of the time people are not moving into these homes because like Matt said, and Matt's, a fa you know, Matt's fancy. Like, look at his equipment, look at his studio. The dude has class, the dude has style. You're not just going to move in any old house. Well, here's the cool thing. So that house we didn't want. And I, how much money did I put down on that house? Zero. I didn't put Zero. any money down on this house, right? But I helped the seller. Man, I got a great deal. I took over his mortgage. No, it didn't have much. I mean, it didn't have a ton of equity, but it was exactly what we wanted. Great school district and plenty of, uh, had a huge finished basement, walkout basement. It was great. And we we're like, well, you know, we don't, we don't want to buy this. But I was still at a place where I couldn't get a mortgage yet because my I still was like I needed to be seven years removed from these foreclosures. I'm also self-employed. I didn't have taken a bunch of write-offs and I had this little tax lien. So we go to Europe for three months. We were living in Prague and just we lived the lap of luxury. It was amazing for three months just traveling around Europe. And I was still working a couple hours a day from there. We come back. I'm getting my timeline kind of messed up, but now we needed a place, right? And uh, we were living in our camper for about three months looking for a place. And really frustrated because we wanted a home in the higher end price range. 
And when you're self-employed and you're trying to get a jumbo loan, you doesn't matter. You could have cash in the bank to buy the house with cash, but a bank is still not going to lend you money if you don't have the right tax returns, if your credit score is not super uh, stellar. Like your tax returns need to show enough income, right? But you're, as a self-employed entrepreneur, you're always trying to take as many write-offs as you can. Well, anyway, I still couldn't get the loan that I wanted. And I found this house on... Um, well, we did a couple things. We pulled a list. We wanted two zip codes to live in one of these two zip codes in the western suburbs of St. Louis, kind of in the hills. And we sent a letter. I sent a yellow letter from my wife to about 100 different sellers that had had at least three acres. They owned their house over 10 years. It had at least three acres in these two zip codes. And we sent them a letter from my wife. And it said, hey, my husband and I are looking for a house that like yours at 123 Main Street that we can buy, but we need to rent it for a year or so first. If you're interested, give me a call. Thanks, Victoria. Okay, so it was a handwritten letter from her. I, I hired a, a print company to send these for me. And I don't, we got eight or 10 calls from sellers with that, from the, getting that letter. And I, after looking at each of them, I was like, ah, you know, I didn't like it because the, the backyard was too sloped, you know, or it was kind of way too far away from the other side of the zip code that we didn't want. Anyway, fast forward, went to Zillow and I found it for sale by owner. And this house, they were asking eight fifty for it. And in, in St. Louis, the median home price is two hundred fifty ish, right? So this is on the higher end, right? But it was vacant and needed some work. And I was like, "Nah, we could never get that house." And it's right in the perfect area, fifteen minutes from our church. We love this beautiful. Like, if you've ever seen any of my videos that I do when I'm driving around on my Segway, or oh, I, I just I, I, know, I know the video, you're floating. Don't say driving around. You're floating on your Segway, right? And I'm like, what is? How is this guy flying? How is he hovering? Do you ever see the backyard and the waterfall? Yeah, it's killer. I'm going to show you some pictures here in a minute. But anyway, I, I text the seller. I said, hey, you know, we're, we're like nice house. Want to know if we can rent it for a year or so first and then buy it. You know what he said? Yeah, sure. Go check it out. Go look at it. He was an absentee owner, lives in Florida. The house is free and clear. We met his friend there and it's a long story, but we got this house. Absolutely amazing. We lease optioned it for three years and then we turned it into owner financing. And now we're just refinancing into a traditional mortgage. But this house is incredible. And if it's all right, I can share some pictures. Why are you uh, why are you refinancing it? Is it that the it's a lease option and so he gave you a certain time frame to to refi him out? Yeah, so it's, it was originally a lease option. We then restructured it to owner financing. Love it. Okay. And, and now he wants, he has a balloon on the deal or what? I'm sorry? Does he have a balloon? Yeah, there is. Okay. You know, it's, it. it's way down the road. I just want to refinance it now into a traditional 30-year mortgage. But here's the problem. So we finally got removed from the seven-year thing. So now my credit score is really good, but I got this little tax thing I'm taking care of. That's going to be done in a month. And I'm going to share more of that later because it's an amazing, crazy story. And it's really humbling, right? But now we're at this place. So we've been here now five or six years. And I'm going to share my screen and to show you some cool things about this property. Some of you guys have seen this. Some of you haven't. But this is, again, why I love this business so much. All right. You see my screen there? I'm going to, this is just the other day. A friends of ours posted a little prank. They, they, they put a toilet on top of our waterfall. Do you see that? I love it. But this is our front yard. Okay. And uh, completely private. You can't see anybody. This is our backyard. This was just this spring. Wow. This is St. Louis, Missouri. What? How cool is that? It's Looks huge. just so like can... Vegas, right, Matt? Yeah, just like Vegas. <laughs> I can take a leak in my backyard without anybody uh, seeing me. So anyway, I got a oh, golf course. We'll have to talk golf pretty soon here one of these days. Anyway, that's why I love creative financing because guys, a lot of you listening to this, you're in this place where you're an entrepreneur, you're working for yourself. Even if you had the money, you couldn't get a mortgage if you wanted because you don't have enough income on your tax returns. Maybe you're trying to get a jumbo loan and you're like, you feel like you're stuck and you're frustrated and you'd want to just find a nice house. You can definitely 
find a great property for you and your family to live in. I have story after story pace, Matt, of students. You know, the, the wife's a teacher. He's an investor. He just wholesales. He's making 20, 30 grand a month, but he can't get a mortgage. And especially in these certain neighborhoods. And he finds a motivated son. I'm thinking of one guy in particular. His name was um, Charles in Alabama. Finds this seller. She's elderly, just wants to downsize, right? But she can't make two payments. I mean, two mortgage payments. She, she's she already bought another place that she's moved into. And so she wanted full price for the house. She was stuck on her price, right? Because this was her investment. He said, all right, I'll give you that price. If you give me a $1,000 rent credit every month for five years, right? So this is a great thing about creative financing. You can give the seller the price they want if they give you the terms that you want. It's either price or terms. So he said, I'll give you the price that you want if you let me give me a $1,000 a month rent credit. So for five years, he's getting a thousand a month. That's $12,000 a year in equity buildup, right? Over five years, that's $60,000 on this property. And so he's able to now move into this house, pretty much basically take over the mortgage, but he's doing a lease option instead. And he's going to have 60 grand in equity by the time he can buy it. And then he can choose if to buy it or not. He doesn't have to if he doesn't want to. And if just basic appreciation, you look at the numbers, he's going to have, a, he's going to have over $140,000 just built up equity in this house at the end of five years where he can choose to buy it if he wants, right? It's, and so he helped he helped the seller take rid of get rid of a problem property she couldn't make payments on. And he helped his wife who wanted to be in this great, beautiful neighborhood that he never thought he could live in. And it's just a, it's just a wonderful thing, right? I love it. I love it. We've got some questions in the side chat, guys. You know how we do on our lives. You guys know I love high activity in the side chat. So give us some questions. I've got three or four that I think are amazing, amazing questions that I'm going to have uh, these two gentlemen answer. Trevor Mock from uh, Carrot.com is in the house. Love Trevor. He's amazing, amazing, amazing guy. So Matt Smith, we're going to start off with your question first. I don't know the answer to this for Matt and Joe, but I know my answer. Okay. So Matt Smith asks, what lists are you hitting for creative finance? The answer is none. I'm not hitting any list for creative finance specifically when I'm doing my direct to seller marketing. And the reason being is because I'm just looking for a motivated seller. Okay. So we use the same list. The difference is if I get 50 leads in wholesale, a cash deal, typically 50 leads, my team can convert one contract out of 50 leads from cold call, texting, et cetera. Okay. About 50 <laughs> leads, one contract. Now, when I implement sub two, seller finance, lease options, those types of things, now, not only am I going to get that one contract out of those 50, that's a cash deal. I'm typically going to get another contract, maybe even two out of the same leads, the same leads, just converting them to creative finance. So I'm using the same list. I'm just utilizing every tool I can to the leads that I'm already generating. So a lot of people ask, are you specifically going after creative finance leads? I think the only places that I could say would crush for creative finance are really small lists, okay? So number one, expired listings for sub two and seller finance opportunities, expired listings, great list, right? For sale by owner, really good list. Obviously, Joe j just got his freaking St. Louis mega mansion that he flies around on his seg Segway. He got that for on a FISBO, for sale by owner. But for us, we just standardize our marketing to look for motivated sellers. So that could be absentee owners, high equity, low equity is a really good one too, specific to sell to create a finance, very low equity. So we'll actually look for people that have bought their home in the last two years. But typically there's no pain there. And so we'll stack those people 
with other painful lists, right? Foreclosure, et cetera. So again, overall, we're not going after creative finance. We're going after everything. And that's the power of what we're talking about here is that we and other creative finance investors are all marketing for the same sellers as you knucklehead wholesalers are, but we're converting at a two or three X factor because we're utilizing all the tools to solve those sellers' problems. Matt and uh, Joe, do you guys have any other parts to that on the direct to seller model? Because I think we can all go to realtors, we can all go to wholesalers and say, give us your dead leads, we can go to probate attorneys and you know, work that free world. But when we're spending money on marketing, pulling lists, cold calling, texting, RVMs, direct mail, all that kind of stuff, is there anything if you're like, I want, actually not if, does your business currently go after only creative finance in your market? I'm, I'm yeah, Matt, you, you go first. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because it's a common question. What list do you pull, right? What do you do for the, the, the big deals? What do you do for fix and flips? What do you do that? And I'm glad you answered that the way that you answered it, Pace, because that's the same answer I always give. And I always feel like I'm kind of cheating. Like I'm wondering what, what the other guys say because I just <laughs> I just look for motivation, right? Because the, the foundation of every deal lies within the seller's motivation to sell. If there's no motivation, there's not going to be a deal. And I think maybe the, the better question is, is how do you present creative offers to the list that you already are working, right? And so the approach that we have, and I would love to hear this from, from you as well, Pace. I know all about Joe, so I know all of Joe's tricks. Um, no, you, don't. <laughs> you taught me everything I know, but you didn't teach me teach you everything you know. <laughs> Got it. But I think it like when you're talking to sellers, like we're here on a, on a Wednesday morning talking about creative financing. Sellers aren't doing this right now, right? They don't know what creative financing is. They don't know what subject two is. They don't know what seller carryback is. And I think a, a big mistake people will make is like they're wondering, they're looking for that right list to where they can say subject two and the seller's going to say yes, right? Yeah. So that's just not, it's, it's not going to happen. That's not the seller's language. The seller speaks price. That's all that they know. So I always go for the price first. I'd always rather have a deep equity position. I can't reach an agreement there. Then I can start saying, well, okay, well, the market might allow me to give you a little bit more if you could uh, take some now and wait for, for the rest later. How much do you need right now? And so I'm still talking price, even though I just proposed a creative offer, right? And so that gets them kind of going. But if I say, oh, I could take over the payment subject too, and then we could put it in a trust and then uh, we could carry it back and then I give you a balloon payment in five years and blah, blah, blah. They're just going to confuse the seller and they're going to explode and they're going to go okay, away. Okay. A confused mind always says no. Yes, exactly. If they don't understand it, they're not going for it. So just kind of think like work the same list you're already working. Don't change anything about that. Go for price first and then just kind of, you know, practice presenting price in a creative way. Like I could give you a higher price. The market might allow it if you could take some now and the rest later. How much do you need right now? You're still talking price, but now they're they're it's a it's a really good segue, and that's how I get all of my creative finance deals if I can't get the equity position first. I love that. So I do the same exact thing. I mean, I'll tell you guys a couple of cool things about what Matt is highlighting. Is number one, imagine that I go into an appointment. Is there such thing as a seller right now that has already not spoken to another wholesaler, real estate agent, etc.? The answer is no. The average that I've found is about 15 wholesalers have had conversations with this seller already. And the seller might have already even signed a contract before. And that wholesaler just never fulfilled that, that contract. And so these sellers are primed and ready. So when I come in, my team is trained to say, well, we actually buy homes in multiple different ways, but we prefer the cash offer method. I'm sure you've spoken to other investors already about a cash offer why haven't you signed with somebody regarding a cash offer yet? 
And what we get to do is we get to extrapolate all these amazing pieces of information because they go, oh, well, I haven't signed yet because everybody's lowballing me and everybody's this and I need this in order to accomplish this. We go, great. We come back to the drawing board. And of course, we always are trying to get a cash deal because cash deals not only keep money in the bank, which is awesome. They also allow us to do fix and flips, which we do a good amount of in Phoenix. But more important, the cash deal tells me all the stories that the other competition failed at, okay? Then we convert, and here's the line that we use. This is the line. We say, okay, well, it sounds like I'm not your buyer on a cash situation, but if I was willing to give you the number that you want, would you be willing to give me the terms that I need? Now, sellers don't know what terms are. Okay, but terms is an easy word. It's not like I'm saying supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I'm just saying a very short word. And more likely than not, the seller will say, well, what does terms mean? Okay, And what I will do is I will then tell a, st- a story that a third grader can understand. And the story for a lot of my audience that is already following, we got about 250 people watching right now, which is great. There's a lot of people that have heard my F-150 story. Okay. And so I've trained my team and trained my students and trained all my people to tell this story. And it's a true story. The story is this. Okay. Well, seller, I used to be a contractor for 10 years. I had an F-150. It hit 320,000 miles and it was time to take that out of my construction company and get my money out of that truck. So I go to Kelly Blue Book, which is essentially the equivalent of Zillow, right? I go to Kelly Blue Book and the truck, Kelly Blue Book says it's worth $5,000. And I was like, pfft. $5,000? Screw you. If I put a truck for $5,000 on Craigslist, am I getting $5,000, Matt and Joe, or am I getting like $3,500? $3,500. Right? I'm going to get these whole, I'm going to get these people lowballing me just like we lowball people on cash offers. And so I'm I'm belligerent. I go on Craigslist and I put my F-150 for what I think it's worth, $10,000. Do you think I sold that truck for $10,000? The answer is hell no. Not, Not only did I sell it, I didn't get a phone call. So three months later, my wife comes into my office, taps me on the shoulder and says, sweetheart, get that stupid truck out of the driveway. But she said it a lot sweeter than that. <laughs> and um, I said, babe, what do you want me to do? And she goes, dude, you're the creative finance guy. Why don't you sell the truck on terms? And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. So I only went back to my Craigslist ad. I changed one thing. I said, F-150 will take payments. Mm. Now, did I sell that truck for $10,000? No, I did not. I sold it for $12,500 because I had so many people overwhelming me with calls in the first 30 minutes. I had to turn the ad off. And then as I was filtering through the people asking, I just kept raising my price until I found somebody who was willing to give me $1,000 down and make me payments over that long period of time. Now, Mr. or Mr. Seller, do you see the benefit of selling something on payments is you can get a much higher number or you can uh, achieve your goals. So just like I sold my F-150 on on um, a terms deal, you can sell your house to me the same exact way. All we have to figure out is what are the monthly payments you'd like to receive or what is the dollar amount you'd like to walk away with. That's and right. nowhere right. in there did I say creative finance, no indeed right. of trust, wrap around, sub yep. two, novation agreement or any of that stuff. We just keep it basic, right? We keep it third grade level and everybody can resonate with the F-150 stories. Even look at Zach Hamilton. He says, oh, Papa Pace with the F-150 story. It's a great comparison still. He's heard it a hundred times. So it's all about storytelling. And I convert, we convert that seller into a sub two or a seller finance by saying, we can get you the number you want if you can give us the terms that we need. And it's as simple as that. And that's how you, that's how you convert. 
You know, the, the question was, is there a list you could target? And I totally agree. It's just in your normal marketing, right? And and I also love old leads. My old leads, other wholesalers, old leads. But I have found sending letters and emails to the realtors and the owners of older listings. You see, this isn't here. I'm in Redfin. Um, and I'm in St. Louis and I just look for houses between hundred grand and 400 grand. I like the median priced homes, right? hundred to 400. And I go to more filters and I say here, I want houses only and time on Redfin. I love this more than 60 days. You can't do this on Zillow. But I say, I want all the properties that have been on the MLS or on Redfin for more than 60 days. And I scroll down and I also say built before 2015, because there's going to be a lot of new construction homes if you don't do that. So I remove, I say before 2015. Apply filter. And the market is hot in St. Louis, just like it is everywhere else. But if, if it's so hot, why are there 318 homes on the market over 60 days that haven't sold yet? I thought all you had to do is stick a sign in the yard and you'd get multiple offers above asking price. Now, St. Louis maybe isn't as hot as Vegas or Phoenix, but it's still a really, really hot market right now. The problem is these houses are overpriced. It's simple. Even in a hot market, if a house is overpriced, it's not going to sell. So you can take this list, Redfin, and go right down. And you can download all of them into a spreadsheet. And this is something maybe we'll show you all later. But you can download all of those properties into a spreadsheet, and you can upload them to PropStream and get all of the owner's information. And you can get the realtor's name and email address. So this is something that I've done many times, and it works real well. I send this ugly typed letter through click to mail or FreedomSoft. Um, and I send a letter like this to the owners of the property. And it just says, it comes from my company to the seller. Hey, I'm sending this time sensitive letter to inform you that we would like to buy your house at address for possibly full price, but we would like to rent it out for a year or so first. We're a group of local investors that look for nice houses to rent in nice areas such as yours. We'll take the house as is, be responsible for all the normal day-to-day -day maintenance and repairs and give you an offer to buy your house for a fair price on a future date of your choosing. I even spelled choosing wrong. We don't charge any fees or commissions. We're just looking for some nicer investment properties in the area. I'm sure you have questions. If you're interested, please call me. And then by the way, I say, if your house is listed with a realtor, please disregard this letter or give it to them. That kind of covers your you're working with realtors uh, issues, right? This letter works great. I've gotten anywhere from a two to 5% response rate with these letters. The other thing is I can send, I can go into these properties and I've sent emails to the realtors. And if you go in here, you're not going to get the contact information on the realtor. You can see right here, it's Shauna, but you can Google them and find the realtor, the, the, the email, or you can go to PropStream and get it from PropStream. But this is what I'll send to the realtors. And I'm using a tool called GMAS to do this, where I just say, hey, listen, I saw your property at Benton Street in Granite City. Looks like a nice house. I'm surprised it hasn't sold yet. But what if I could get the price that the seller is asking for? They wouldn't consider something like seller financing or lease purchase, would they? And that's it. I just send a simple email like that to the realtors. And you'll be shocked how many realtors will reply back. I don't know, maybe send an offer. They might consider it. I'll let them know. What are you thinking? It's, it works really, really well. Now, in that situation, you're going to have to deal with the realtor, which presents its own challenges, but you can still do deals this way by contacting the listing agents and or contacting the sellers directly. Ninja, ninja tip. Love that. I have a great question for you guys. Yeah. Man, there's such great questions. Matt Smith, love the comment. Taylor Evans, love this deal. How to work numbers with a realtor. I think that's a topic for an entire show, to be honest. Sam Kemp, see you all the time, bro. Love your comments. You're amazing. If a seller is open to cash and creative finance, I think we'll jump on that here in a little bit. But I really, really like this one because I think that this is where I'm going to differ with both you guys. Okay. Yeah. I will buy negative equity deals frequently frequently. Now, 
it's probably less than 15% of my portfolio, but I just bought nine homes on seller finance, 2% interest carry from the seller. And here's the purchase price on the contract. This is literally what the purchase price says, okay? In the purchase price on the contract, it says see below. In additional comments, we write final purchase price to be determined on day of closing, Zillow price plus $20,000. That's my contract price. So my answer is yes, I will buy negative equity deals, especially when I have really good terms, low down payment, really good cash flow, and a great interest rate that I don't have a balloon on. So again, let me say that one more time. No adjustable rate mortgages, right? That was a very popular thing back in 2004 through 2007. Those really don't exist too much anymore. Um, my interest rates are averaging in my seller finance deals around two, two and a half percent. So crazy good interest rate. And I have no balloon, right? So regardless of whether the house appreciates or doesn't appreciate, doesn't really bother me. I'm not buying for appreciation. I'm buying for cash flow and my the easiness of getting into that deal. Now, the other thing is I stress test everything, right? So I go back in historical data and I find if I'm buying a house in a really bad area, which I don't buy houses typically in really bad areas, but if I do, I look back at historical data and I look at the rental defaults when 2008 happened and I go, oh my gosh, if we have another downturn, my house is in this pocket, I have to plan on four, five, six months of buffer, probably not a great deal for me, okay? So yes, equity, good... Uh, negative equity deals or me overpaying for a property, I will absolutely buy them if the terms make sense for me. What about you guys? Do you guys touch negative equity stuff? I'll let Matt go first. Yeah. I mean, the, the big thing with, with everything you just said, Pace, is will it cash flow? right? I don't really care about equity too much. I, there's plenty of properties I've even overpaid for that had had equity and I still paid for them, overpaid for them because they were good cash flowing numbers. And so there was one, one question here is like, how do you calculate what to offer on a creative financing deal? I work everything backwards. You know, I, I have a, a minimum standard, whether it's a, a monthly dollar amount cash flow, or if it's a, a monthly, uh, or if it's a ROI, a cash on cash return. And I just craft my, my offer backwards from that to make sure I hit my number. And equity is very rarely a part of that equation. To me, equity, that, that becomes frosting on the cake, you know, but the financial freedom comes from cash flow. And if you overpay for a property, but it sets you free, what's more important to you, getting the equity or are you being free? Love well, that. I would disagree a little bit, although I can totally understand your point. Cash flow is the most important number in all of this, right? <clears throat> but I would say sometimes though, I would offer the seller instead the same equity they would get if they sold with a realtor. So you could say, would it be fair if I gave you the same equity you would get with a realtor or if you sold with a realtor? And then I would show them, all right, well, if you were to sell it today, it would be, and if you fixed it up, it would be about this, but then you'd have to put some money into it. You'd have to pay the commissions. You'd have closing costs. Right, Joe, but that would be, this was for a negative equity deal, right? That was the question. Well, yeah, you could still structure it though. But they would get nothing. They would have to come in with money well, if it was a negative. The point equity. is, I guess you're showing them that they don't have really any equity. They they may owe 190 and the house is worth 200, right? So they think there's 10 grand in equity there. When you right. really show them the cost of selling it, you're actually going to have to come to closing with a check for five to 10 grand or 15 to sell it. So you could then say, listen, instead of giving you the same equity you would get if you sold with a realtor, which would be negative 15, then I, I'll go ahead and just, just take over your debt. I like that kind of a phrase. I'll just take over your debt like um, and, and take over your payments. Would that be okay with you or not? So that kind of frames it a little differently, but I like to term 
phrase it in terms of the equity they would get if they sold with the realtor. What the, What is their true net, net, net equity at the end of the day? But I'm still, I got so burnt um, by my subject twos back in the last crash. I personally, I want to see cash flow and equity. That's where I'm. That's if you were going to do those those deals again, Joe, like, like today, what would you have done differently? I would have had better, bigger cash flow, number one, because I on all of them, I had only $100, $150 a month in cash flow. And number two, I didn't save anything. I didn't have any reserves, right? Um, so I would have done it differently. Number one, I would have wanted at least another 100 or 200 a month in cash flow. And I would have saved at least half of the option deposit money I got from the tenant buyers I was putting in the houses and would not have touched it. And if I would have done that, I would have had 50 grand in the bank just sitting there for emergencies. And I could have weathered the storm. If you remember when the market crashed, like people were losing their houses and but there, there were a lot of vacancies. Vacancies actually went up. And I was so desperate to get somebody in there. It was a downward spiral because I would take the first person that could put down three grand just so I could make that next mortgage payment. And they were complete idiots and they would tear the place up and they wouldn't pay the rent and you know threaten to sue me. It was just a disaster, but kind of went down from there. Uh, I just didn't so, have. So it was um, not enough reserves, not enough cash flow. Yeah. And then like the, the tenant market was depressed. Yeah. Right. Rents didn't go down, but it was harder to find good quality tenants. And at the time too, it was so easy to get a mortgage. If you remember this, it was so easy to get a mortgage. People are like, well, why would I want a lease option? I can just go fog and mirror yep. at the bank and get a loan. So at the time I was not getting very good. I was getting very poor quality uh, tenant buyers for my homes. I think that's a whole topic, honestly, for a whole day. Don't you agree, Matt and Joe, is that talking about, you know, what does your war chest look like? So, yeah. you know, for all of our properties, we have, you know, we're in triple figures on our, our properties or doors that we hold on subject to and, and seller finance. And we have a war chest phrase, basically, like, let's say $1,000 comes into our bank account from our tenant, there's a portion of that that comes right off the top and goes into our war chest, right? And it's for a rainy day. The reason I call it a war chest is for obvious reasons. Like I'm, I might go to war at some point with a tenant. I might go to you know eviction court. I might have to repair holes they punch in the walls or whatever. So that money comes right off the top. And so depending on the area and the type of tenant that I'm going to get in that area, I will either put 10%, 15%, or even upwards of 20% of my, my income my my collections. So if it's a thousand dollars, which I don't have anything at a thousand dollars rent rate right now because freaking rent rates are crazy. But let's say it's a thousand dollars. If it's in a bad area, I'm putting two hundred dollars a month to the side. But more important is what Joe's talking about is that option fee right up front. Let's say my option fee is seventy five hundred bucks. I might take twenty five hundred dollars and go buy sushi with it. Take Matt to Nobu in, in uh, Caesar's Palace and go hang out with Matt. But the other five grand I'm putting in my war chest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a whole topic for a whole nother day. I think like literally we could talk about that for an hour. Profit first. And here's a go. book everybody needs to get and read. If you're a serious business owner and you're not treating this like a hobby, you're treating this like a business, you need to get the book Profit First. It is so important. Such if you just have a, a job, even if you're just an employee, yeah. you need that book. That's probably the most life-changing book I've read in the last five years. Uh -huh. yeah. I would say that the most... Like out of the top 20 questions I get on a daily basis, one of those questions is, hey, I got my first check. What do I do with my money? Where do I spend it? What do I do? And I'm like, my answer is uh, sending them the Amazon link to profit first. Uh -huh. yep. And we, we um, actually, you guys both know Tom Kroll. Yeah. 
So when I met Tom Kroll a couple of years ago, I met his bookkeeper, Tony Counts. I don't know if you guys, either, either one of you know Tony Counts. I ended up hiring her. And in our interview process, I said, hey, have you read the book Profit First? And she says, I was just about to ask you the same thing. I won't take on clients that haven't read Profit First. Yeah. So guys, Matt's suggestion of Profit First is incredibly, incredibly important. If you're not a reader, download that bad boy on Audible and get that information in your brain. You might have to read it two or three times for people that are you know, new to understanding the flow of money and what to do with it. But it's the crap they should have been teaching us in high school, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. And I, I don't even do it exactly as the book is written because he kind of has this percentage breakdown and, and what you want your, your account to do and run the books. And this, you got these all these five different accounts. And I'm just like, I just have an automatic, I started very small because I was not living paycheck to paycheck, but our business, like every single dime I ever made went right back into the business to make it bigger and bigger and keep it going. And so we were essentially living like we weren't, we didn't have a big giant cash reserve for a very long time. And so we just started like, okay, just an automatic payment. I just start with my own personal account. 50 bucks a month goes over to E-Trade and it gets automatically deposited into a mutual fund. That was just it. And it was 100% automated. And I was actually concerned. Like I was actually concerned with $50 a month. Like, oh my gosh, like what am I, what if I need it? And it, it was turned into nothing. This started about four years ago, three and a half years ago. Then you know, I went to 100 bucks and then 200 bucks and just slowly started inching that thing up. And now I've got that money comes into one account. I use a wealth front and then it disperses it into three different areas. So it goes to an investment account, a cash account, and then I got a second account just for taxes. And now I'm saving about 10 grand a month. That's 100% automated. This is on my personal account, not my business even, just my personal thing. And now I've got this huge sleep well at night account. Like I don't even have these concerns or money worries at all anymore. And I'm not even doing it right. Like just, but just by setting up that automated disbursements into your account that automatically go, you never get to touch, done. Yeah, there's a there's a thing I use. Um, it's called Acorns, and uh, Acorns is awesome because you can put it into uh, they're kind of like exchange traded funds, ETFs. I think is what they're called. What are these? Everyone's affiliate links? No, those no, are Audible and Amazon. Got it, got it. Somebody asked who the author is. It's Mike Michalowicz. Here's the whole idea of Profit First. Every dollar that comes in, normally most people say revenue minus expenses equals profit. This changes it around where it's revenue minus um, profit equals expenses. So every dollar that comes in, you're going to first set aside some money for profit. It could be 10 to 15%. The next thing you need to do is send some dollars to the tax man. All right. Do not ignore the tax man. He can take everything away from you if he wants. And he doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care about you at all. All he wants is his money and you need to give it to him or else you're going to be in big trouble if you don't. All right. Then you pay yourself and then whatever's left is your expenses, is your overhead. So every dollar that comes in, you need to set aside 10% for profit. And and I like to use Acorns. Acorns is something similar to what Matt was just saying. Um, You can download it on your phone. And you can choose every dollar. It rounds up your dollars that you spend on your checking account or your credit cards. It rounds up and invests that money for you. Or it can withdraw a certain amount. I think I have it do 500 bucks a week or something like that every week into an Acorns account. And it's just a savings account that earns great interest because it's invested in the stock market. But you can also get some self-directed IRAs in there um, and some cool stuff like that. 
Hey guys, we really appreciate y'all tuning in. This is our first live together. We've reached almost 300 live viewers for our first time. Really, really appreciate you, um, especially right here. Hype X Fanatics as he's sharing the video. So guys, do us a favor in the future, share these videos. We want as many people, you know, breaking these financial curses that maybe have come from their family education. I know that I basically, the only thing I learned when I was young was work your guts out until you die right? Thank goodness to my dad for teaching me how to work really, really hard. But these creative finance tips and also how to manage your money, my gosh, let's get everybody to know this stuff. And by the way, if you're not following Joe McCall, you're not following Matt Terrio on YouTube, go subscribe to these guys. Matt Terrio's YouTube is amazing. He does a crazy, crazy good job. I think a lot of people probably look at Matt and go, how do I be as cool as Matt on YouTube? <laughs> um, he does a great job. Go, go, go follow him. His content's amazing. The flow of his videos are great. Production value is, is nearly unparalleled. Go follow these guys. We're going to be doing this podcast every Wednesday, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11, I'm sorry, 11 a.m. Eastern. And we're going to be doing so many amazing topics. I think what we're going to do this week is we're going to go through the comments and we're going to choose a few of the, the questions that have been thrown out in the comments because there's some questions in here that deserve a full hour deep dive of us going through. And if we have to, we'll bring in a CPA. If we have to, we'll bring in a bankruptcy attorney. If we have to, we'll bring in a probate attorney. And we'll make this show absolutely amazing, amazing value for you guys. Guys, I, ha I have a call in two minutes. Yeah, um, I got to go too. So before we leave, I'm going to shut up and I want you guys to, to tell everybody where else they can find you and what, are, what else are you doing live this week that people can tune in and, and watch you guys on. For me, I'm typing this in. Oh, boom. I love these banners there. Does that show profit? Yeah, partnerwithjoe.net. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. So that's my new shtick right now, man. I'm so excited about this. I have a software that I just created that helps you create offers and gives you these beautiful reports that you can send to the sellers. Um, you can get it for free at partnerwithjoe.net. And I have a little program in there that I sell for seven bucks where I'm going to put you through a 30-day course on how to get your first check. It's just a gift, really, for me, but I have some really awesome, amazing things in there for you. Go check it out, partnerwithjoe.net. And it's also, I also have my podcast, Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast, where I, I don't have as many episodes as Matt, Terrio, but I will someday, I promise. Someday. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure uh, hanging out with you, and I'm looking forward to, to making this a regular thing. I think it's really good, and it seems like everybody else is getting something from it as well. Yeah. And I learned something from you guys every single time. So, Joe, you've always got the the backdoor tricks inside of the next website. And it's uh, it's always fun to watch how you, how you do that stuff and navigate that stuff. But anyway, yeah, the, the podcast has been running almost, we're all going on our 12th year, the Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast. And uh, just type in epicrealestateinvesting.com. That'll take you right to the YouTube link. And then of course, YouTube, epicrei.tv. That's my little domain name. That'll take you right to our my home channel, epicrei.tv. And uh, looking forward to this. See you guys next week. This has been Thank great. Thank you guys. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Take care.